we went, we got like a sandwich from the first bar and, and a beer. And they're like, oh, if you buy a beer, you get a free shot. And we're like, okay, great. And, but it was a shot of Lao Lao, which is this really terrible whiskey, like really terrible whiskey. And I, I took my shot and it just did not sit well. And I puked and then I kept trying to rally and we tried to swim down the river a little bit. And then I would puke again another hour later and then again another hour later. It, it was not it was not ideal. Not, <laughs> not the uh, fun tubing party that you imagined it was going nope. to be. This is the final goal for me. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 414. The world's largest music festival is Summerfest, and it attracts between 800,000 and a million people each year over the 11-day festival. It's held in the U.S., but I bet you'll never guess what U.S. city hosts Summerfest. Take a guess, and I'll let you know at the end of the show. I'm super excited to have Chase as the sponsor of today's show because if you've been following us for any length of time, you know that Chase has been my favorite credit card company ever since I started learning how to use travel rewards points way back in 2011. The Chase card that I've recommended for beginners just getting started has been the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. It's been that way for years and it's still my favorite card for beginners. The best part about the Chase Sapphire Preferred card is that it earns you Chase Ultimate Rewards points, which you can transfer to a host of great partners like United, Southwest, and Hyatt, or you can use directly through Chase Ultimate Rewards and book any flight, hotel, or car rental with no blackout dates. It's an absolute no-brainer. If you're looking to get started in earning travel rewards points, the Chase Sapphire Preferred is the card you need to get. To check out more information on all the great perks of the Sapphire Preferred Card, plus the other great offerings from Chase, you can go to creditcards.com slash epop and see all of my favorites. To be totally transparent, we do receive compensation from Chase as a sponsor, but all these opinions are my opinions only, and you know I'd only ever recommend something that I absolutely love and use myself, like Chase. So head on over to creditcards.com slash epop and see all of my favorites. One of the things I love about Tortuga backpacks is that their mission is no matter what product they are making, they are making it with the traveler in mind and only someone who is looking to travel. That's what their backpacks are for. So whether you're someone who loves to go to a bunch of music festivals like today's guest or you're a digital nomad, also like today's guest, or you're someone who's out there traveling for leisure and traveling for vacation, Tortuga backpacks are making different style of backpacks just for people who want to travel. That is all they care about. Travel, travel, travel. How can we make the best backpacks for people who want to travel in a variety of different ways? So if you're looking for the best travel backpack out there, because that's what they do, head on over to tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. Remember, tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. You can get 10% off anything you order by going to tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. But you have to go there through that link in order to get 10% off.
Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sher, and joining me today is someone who met her husband at a music festival, although the bag of wine means she doesn't remember it all that well, who has lived in China, Indonesia, and Mexico, and who's always one of my favorite people to talk to, Rachel Story from GratefulGypsies.com. Rachel, thanks for joining me, and a huge welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I have had the good fortune of following your husband and your journey for the last few years, but I'm excited today because I get to unpack even more of the story, some of the stuff that I may not even know. I did know about the bag of wine um, at the music <laughs> festival, so I, I do know that beginning part, but let, let's start at the beginning. What started your love of travel? Like, Where did that come from? I'm not really sure, but my entire life, I always had it in my head that I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. I used to say that when I was a kid, but I meant it. I was going to see the world, whatever it took. I don't know if it's because of my small town upbringing um, or what it was, but um, it's just something that I've always wanted to do. And I jumped on the first chance I got back when I was 13 years old, uh, something just showed up in the mail one day from this organization called People to People Student Ambassadors. And I know People group. to People, yeah. Oh, you do? Okay, yes. well, they just mailed something to my house, and I don't know how they knew to mail it to me, but that particular summer, they were going to New Zealand and Australia, and so I begged my parents, and they were kind enough to let me go. And so that was my first experience traveling internationally. Wow, so you were 13, I was 13. And you went across, I mean, about as far away from the U.S. as you can go. Literally as far away as you can get. What did your parents think of that? Because you said, all right, I was in a small town. Like, we're, Obviously, they were nice enough and, and thought enough of it to let you go. But was it something they were shocked by? Were they like, oh, my gosh, you're going to go all the way around the world? Like, you're only 13. Why are you doing this? I don't think so. I think because like people to people is very, it's like the whole purpose is, is education and learning about other cultures. And both of my parents traveled when they were in college. Like they both traveled to Europe and like Hawaii and places like that. So they were already open-minded to the idea of international travel. And I guess they figured since I was going to be in a gr big group of like 38 people with a couple of different chaperones and because they were able to build that trust because leading up to the trip, we would have monthly meetings with the kids who are going from my region. So I guess they just had enough time to just build up that trust. What was it like for you then? I mean, because I didn't have that experience as a 13-year-old. Like I didn't, I, I'm trying to think of the first international trip I took. I think I was 21 and I had, or 20 and I turned 21 in Paris, right? So this is, you know, a whole different time period in our life. You're 13 and you're getting to go to a place that most people only ever dream about, Australia, New Zealand. So what was it like for you on the trip and then also like coming home from that? Well, um, it was very exciting. It was very, very exciting. And it's funny now, like looking back on it, because it, it was a group of 38, 13 and 14 year olds with only four chaperones. <laughs> so when you hear that out loud, you're like, what? But it worked. I don't know what it was. It worked. They had like a bus lined up to take us everywhere we needed to go. We did a lot of train travel. Um, and it was very exciting because 
there were only like 10 people from my region and the rest were from Oklahoma. So not only did I get to learn about two new countries, I got to make a whole lot of new friends in the process. Um, and one of my most, this is like how you know I was 13 years old. One of my most vivid memories is that New Zealand has the best ice cream in the world. And I still maintain that to this day that they have the best ice cream in the world. And anytime anyone brings up New Zealand, that's all I ever say. But it was a lot of firsts. It was the first time I went to a hot springs in New Zealand. It was the first time I ate fish and chips. Um, it was just a first for so many things. And then coming home, uh, that was the first time I got to experience jet lag. And you could find me sleeping on the couch in the living room for like five hours in the middle of the afternoon. So what were you like then? Like, obviously, you went on this trip. And you come home and now you're back into regular 13, 14 year old mode. So, you know, you go back in the end of middle school, beginning of high school. A lot of the kids hadn't obviously from your school and your, your friend group hadn't gone on this trip. Did you feel changed? Like, was there something about it or, or was it, or was it just kind of like, oh, this was a fun experience. And then you fell back into normal life. It was the latter, you know, because I don't think I was old enough to truly appreciate what I had just experienced. Like it was fun and I made great memories and I have a lot of great pictures to show for it. Um, but you know, it was in the summer between eighth and ninth grade. And I think I was just excited to be a real high schooler. So I, it was, it was more just like a fun experience. And then I just went right back to normal teenage life. Did you then get to travel at all? Like what was the next big adventure for you after that? Uh, the next international trip, I went to the Bahamas, um, which isn't super far away. It's only like a quick flight from I was uh, in college at the time. And it was uh, it was uh, during our winter break. So I went on like January 2nd and stayed for like a week. And that was just like a vacation. It wasn't a super cultural immersion experience, just a fun beach vacation. Yeah. And then music obviously, if anyone goes to your website or knows you at all, has always played a huge role, specifically like music festivals in your life and your travels. Like you will base a lot of your travels, you can speak to this, around going to music festivals. What is it that makes you so passionate about them? And when did that start to take hold for you? Well, I grew up playing music. I started playing piano when I was six years old and I started playing the trumpet when I was 11 years old. And I did marching band all through high school. And that was another uh, place that I got to experience travel because um, my high school marching band, we were really good. <laughs> like humble brag, we were really good. And we got to do a lot of really cool stuff. So like my freshman year, we were in the Macy's Parade. And then my junior year, we were in the Waikiki Holiday Parade in Hawaii. Um, yeah, so I got to wow. do some cool traveling as a result of, of just being a musician and being a part of a music group. Um, and as I got older, like, so here's the thing about my hometown, it is under a rock <laughs> and it doesn't really get a whole lot of exposure to like outside things. So like when you listen to the radio, you would only hear like top 40 songs and really nothing outside of that. And I was going to summer camp in North Carolina when I was like 16, I want to say around like sophomore, junior year of high school and got introduced to Dave Matthews band. And so uh, like, and I had never heard that in my hometown, like people in my hometown didn't listen to Dave Matthews. Uh, so that's when I got turned on to that world of music, sort of like the, the jam bands and 
started learning about the hippie culture movement and things like that. Uh, and then, like I said, my hometown is under a rock. So I made it all the way through my freshman year of college, came back that summer. And then there was one weekend where all my friends just disappeared. And then they finally reemerged on like Monday or Tuesday. And I was like, where have you guys been? They were like, well, we were at Bonnaroo. And I was like, Bonna who? What's that? They're like, it's a music festival. And I was like, those still exist? Like, I seriously thought that they had died with the hippie movement and only lived in like a cultural relic museum. So that, so I promised myself that I was going to go to Bonnaroo the next summer. And I did that very thing. So in 2005, I went to my first music festival, Bonnaroo, um, and that was the first time I ever experienced culture shock. <laughs> okay, Un let's unpack that. What was so <laughs> shocking about this? Well, th first there was the fact that I was still trying to wrap my mind around the fact that that whole subculture still existed, was, was alive and well. Uh, so there was that. And then um, I went with two other friends from high school who had also never been to a music festival. And Bonnaroo's huge. I don't think it's a very good starter festival if you've never been to one because it's huge, it's hot, you need a strategy. You need to have a plan for what music you're gonna see and when because you can easily be camping a mile or more away from Centaroo where all the music happens. And I didn't have anyone to explain this to me. And one of the best parts about Bonnaroo is the late night. Like they have music that goes from, you know, till four in the morning. And I was like, and that's when some of the best music happens. You have roaming artists who will go around and like play with other bands and you get to see a lot of really like experimental kind of stuff that you wouldn't normally see otherwise. I didn't know that. And I was like going to bed at like midnight, one o'clock every night, like talk about noob status. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so I just, there was no one to explain the ropes to me and I just didn't understand. I was even like, like carrying my little purse around, you know, like you should have a backpack with like a water bottle, maybe a rain jacket. No, I didn't have any of those things. And so, so I definitely, um, was like, it was fun, but I wasn't really stoked on my first music festival. And then, so that was 2005 and I didn't go to another one until 2007. But this time around, I went to All Good Music Festival, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. But it was a much smaller festival. And I went with a really good friend who was very well versed in music festivals and had been to several and like taught me like you need to make a plan. You need to eat. Make sure you eat <laughs> and things like that. And like kind of like took me by the hand and showed me the ropes of like how to do a music festival like a pro. And so that's when I was like, all right, this is it. This is what I want to do. I love this community. I love it because it's not just the music. It's, it's an experience. It's the people you meet, the things that you learn, the things that you see. Um, and so I was actually um, a major in music industry studies. And so um, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do with my degree. I'm just going to do music festivals. And that's all I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I'm going to make my own music festival. Um, it was a very naive <laughs> idea, but <laughs> that's what started it all. And so for you, you were all entrenched in this. And what I love about this idea is it, you mentioned the word subculture. It's like sometimes you just don't know stuff exists until you're, until someone shows it to you. And for you, this then 
I mean, it was. It's a type of travel. Like going to music festivals is, as you mentioned, you had culture shock, right? And yeah. not not in a different country, but right. just at a music festival, not even that far from from where you grew up, right? Four and um, a half hours from my hometown, right? And so it, it's really neat that there's this stuff that exists that can give you the same feeling that travel gives you, and, and is in sense in a sense, a type of travel that doesn't mean you have to be flying all around the world. And for you, that was music festivals. So you dove into this, into the subculture, into this lifestyle, and it really formed who you were for a while. And and, and I guess still does to some degree. Yes, very much so. I would not be sitting here in Medellin, Colombia, talking to you right now, if not for all of that, because it, like I said, it was after All Good where I decided this is what I'm going to do. Um, or at least be involved with this, with this scene in, in some way. And so I had to do an internship to finish my degree. Um, that same friend who took me to All Good in 2007 convinced me to go to another festival, but much further away in upstate New York. And that was a new thing for me, driving 12 hours to go to a music festival. But Music festivals are expensive, you know, like the ticket, the entry ticket, especially if you're buying it at the last minute can at this time was upwards of $150. They're way more now. Uh, And I told my friend, like, I don't have the money to go to a second festival this summer. And he was like, it's okay, we'll just volunteer. And so that's when I found out about the work exchange team where you can sign up to volunteer and work a couple of hours during a festival in exchange for your ticket. So I started doing this a lot. I did it at um, another festival in the spring of 2008, and I got in touch with the people who were running that program and asked if they took on interns because I had to do an internship to finish my degree. So I ended up doing my internship with the work exchange team, which meant that I got to spend all of summer 2008 traveling around to different music festivals and supervising the groups of volunteers. And it was that very summer that I met Sasha. He was a volunteer at one of the music festivals where I was supervising the volunteers. And through, you know, by going to all of these festivals, I started to build a group of friends who were always at the same festivals. And it turned out that Sasha and I had like 50 mutual friends who were all hanging out together at this particular festival. It's called Rothberry. It's in Michigan. It doesn't exist anymore. It's now called Electric Forest. But that's how I met Sasha. Wow. So you, like we said, you met your husband at a music festival. And that has then shaped the journey of your life. Because let's go into that. He then, if, if I remember correctly, you can fill in the details here. He was then a bit of a driving force to then traveling abroad, correct? Yes, that's right. Meeting Sasha kind of like started like a domino effect because in the summer of 2008, we had both just graduated from college. Um, He with a digital media uh, degree and he hadn't lined up a job yet. And he had actually tried a job in his college town, hated it, quit, started looking into other options, saw some photos from one of his friends on Facebook who was in China And he was like, oh, well, that's completely different. What are you doing over there? And his friend told him, oh, I'm teaching English. It's great. It's through this program. Um, They bring you over here. They help you get a visa, blah, 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 all that. So um, Sasha, being the oldest of seven kids, didn't want to go back and live at his parents' house. 
which I can't say that I blame him. So he um, took a job through this program teaching English in China. So by the time I met him, he already had plans to move to China. So um, that first year, you know, like we hung out as much as we could before he left. Uh, and then I only have one younger brother. So for me, going back home to live for a little while until I figured some things out was no problem. And I honestly just kind of treated it like the year off that I never had because I went straight from high school, straight to college, finished college in four years. And so I just kind of used that time to like take a breather. Like I got like just a job waiting tables in my hometown. Like I reconnected with friends and really took a step back to try and figure out what I wanted to do. In the meanwhile, building stronger relationships with the friends that I had made at all those music festivals over the summer. And I kept in really, really close touch with Sasha and kind of stalked him on Facebook. Um, and he was always doing cool stuff. And China actually looked like a really cool place to travel. So he had said when he left, he was planning to spend a year there. He had said that the one thing that would bring him back early from his year in China was if this band called Fish got back together. You see, because Fish was Sasha's favorite band. And of course, I had heard about them like being a fan of the uh, jam band scene. However, they had broken up in 2004. And so they were not even a band the whole time I was in college and the whole time I was first getting into this scene. Um, but then they got back together in 2009. So Sasha had only been in China for like two months. And then they announced that they were getting back together. And I was like, yes, looks like you <laughs> got to come back. coming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we ended up, I thought maybe in the summer of 2009, we would maybe see like one or two fish shows together. We ended up going to, in, just in the year of 2009, we ended up going to 20 fish concerts in like five or seven different states or something like that. And that was like our first summer as a couple. Like we, we that I went to five music festivals myself that summer. We went to four together and then we went to 20 fish concerts just in the year 2009. And that was how we started dating. Wow. So you just were all in it, but yep. you both were like, we're doing this. We're in the music uh, festival scene. We're going hard. And then you did. So you did that. And, and obviously you, were, you saw that you could survive together and maybe right. even thrive together in, yes. uh, in, in conditions that are, you know, would maybe drive people apart, you know. You're it's in, a great way to put your relationship to the test. <laughs> yes, and that's what people, you know, I have uh, a few friends. I, I met Heather before I was traveling a lot, but a lot of friends who say, like, I will, you know, I will put this person to the test. Like, I love traveling, and so if I think I'm serious about someone, we'll go traveling together, and we'll we'll find out pretty quickly whether this is going to work or not because it, it does. It puts you in adverse conditions, conditions you're not comfortable with. You have to rely on the other person instead of running off to, you know, other friends, family, support systems that you have. And yeah, I mean, you really can see the other person a lot clearer, I think, when you travel together, whether it be music festivals or abroad or anything. So you guys were like, all right, this works. And then you decided to go back to China. Well, yeah, so that's because um, we spent all of that summer just basically living out of my car because we were driving from music festival to fish concert to fish concert to music festival. I think like in the entire summer, there was like two full weeks that we had off to just like be in the same place and chill. Uh, so, 
it got to the end of the summer and we hadn't really made plans. Like I think Sasha was originally thinking that he was just going to go back to China at the end of the summer because he just coming back from China after only having kept in touch on the internet, neither of us were really sure how it was going to pan out. Cause like you said, in that situation, you really see people for who they really are. Um, and so we, neither of us were really sure. And I think he originally thought he would go back to China, but then when it worked out so well, he decided to stay. I was like, you know, I got this degree in music business. I paid a lot of money for it. I would kind of like to test the waters and see if I can even get a job in the music industry. And so he was like, okay, fine. And he'd even left some stuff in China. Like he left his guitar and like all this stuff in China because he thought he was gonna, going back. And he had his friends and roommates who were still there, like bring his stuff back to the States for him. And so we went all in on, okay, we're going to go to Nashville because a lot of our mutual friends who were, we were seeing all this music with lived in Nashville and the surrounding areas. And so I kind of thought of it as Nashville is music city. We have a ton of friends there. So we have a support system. We have people that we can stay with. And it, and if all else fails, I don't have far to go to get home was kind of my thinking. Um, so I got to Nashville and hit the ground running and I did everything you're supposed to do to try and get a job. I bought a pantsuit. You know, I took my resume and went passing it out on, on Music Row. I went to networking events. I volunteered at uh, music industry events. I did literally everything you're supposed to do. But with this being 2009, this was like the height of the economic recession. And music industry jobs are some of the first to go when the economy's bad. And so there just were no jobs. I ended up having to like slave away in a restaurant for free just to get a job there for like two weeks because it was a brand new restaurant and he like held open interviews and it was one of those situations like, well, you can come and help out where he's like implying if you come and help out and work for free, I'll give you a job kind of thing. And with the economy being the way it was, like I really just didn't have any option. And it was hard for Sasha to find a job. like. He did find a job teaching English at um, Middle Tennessee State University, and he had classes for like a month, and then they told him he was going to have classes the, the next month, and then at the last minute, they were like, actually, no, you don't have any classes this month. We had to get on food stamps because we just like weren't making enough money. Gas was really expensive at the time, and I drove a Ford Explorer. Um, we, and we were just really down and out. We went from this huge high um, traveling the country together, seeing music all summer to a low, low of like having all this ambition of like, give me a job. I am college educated. I am ready to enter the workforce. And it just like not happening. And then having to get on food stamps to support ourselves. Finally, we were able to scrounge up enough money to go see fish in Miami for New Year's Eve. And that was like a big deal because you needed flights, the hotel, um, all those things. And we worked it all out. Uh, then um, while we were in Miami, the house that we were living in in Murfreesboro got broken into. My computer got stolen. Sasha's guitar that he worked so hard to bring back from China got stolen. A lot of roommates' things got stolen. Um, then like three weeks after that, my car got broken into and my really nice GPS system got stolen. Things that I was planning on selling because at that point with all the struggles of not being able to find a job, I had decided like, okay, I, you know, we're, we're going to go to China. We're going to try something different. This isn't working, but I'm an adult now. I'm going to work. I'm going to pay for my own ticket, however long that takes. But then 
after my car got broken into, I was like, no, nope, not happening, not doing this anymore. Mom, please buy me a ticket. I'll pay you back someday. Promise. <laughs> and that was and, and that was the decision to go to China then. Yes, that was the straw that broke the camel's back that got us there quicker because we were I was already ready to go by that point, because especially after the house got robbed, Sasha was like, you know, it's really hard for people to rob you in China. You know, it's really easy to find a job teaching English in China. They really just want a white face native English speaker. It doesn't matter if you don't have any experience. You've got a degree. That's all you need. Let's just go to China. And um, after the car got robbed, we asked both of our parents please, can you lend us money, buy us a ticket? This isn't working. We have to get out of here. And um, we bought one-way flights to China. And what was that like then? Because did you have any desire at that point to teach English? Or was it just, it was just a thing to do that was, that you thought would probably be a short-term solution? It, the latter. Like I never, ever, ever imagined myself in a teaching capacity. If you had told me, when I started college that I was going to wind up going to teach English in China, I would have told you you were nuts. That was never, ever on my radar. But as I was trying to find a job in the music industry, I realized more and more that that was, in fact, not what I wanted. And the underlying reason for all of it was to travel. I thought I wanted to be like a band manager or a tour manager because, in my mind, those jobs would allow me to travel. And I came to this realization that the underlying reason and motivation for everything was travel. And I was presented with this opportunity to go live in this other country. Um, and uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, no, teaching English was never, ever something that I envisioned myself doing. I just did it for a lack of a better option. Yeah, that is fascinating that it, it it took you a little while to figure it out, which I think is common for most people that age when you, you know, you're told you have to figure it all out and you're just like, wait a second, I haven't even tried anything really yet. How can I figure it out? That the underpinning was, yes, you loved music and still do, but it wasn't that you wanted to be in that industry as much as you wanted the lifestyle of getting to see new things and experiencing new cultures. And now you're given this opportunity to experience something completely different, China versus, you know, going to like, you know, another state and you decide to take that up. And then you guys did China for a couple of years. You were in Indonesia. And so you went and both of you were teaching English for uh, quite a while abroad, right? Like actual as teachers in schools. Yep. Um, we, we lived in Beijing for three and a half years and then we went and lived down in Kunming for one year. What would you say to other people who might be interested in this idea. Cause I, I, you know, if people don't know, I taught English in Japan for two years. So very similar to the stuff that you guys did. I was just in Japan, you were in China. Um, and you know, I have my own thoughts on it, but I want to hear yours about this, you know, idea of, you know, you don't want to do it forever. You probably, you know, I knew I did not want to teach English forever, but I was presented with the opportunity to go to Japan for people who might be interested in it. What would you say? Like, did it end up for you being a good decision and one that you would make again, you know, if you're going back in time? Absolutely. It's one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life because, again, it's part of that whole domino effect that led me exactly to where I am right now. Um, and I, I have a really funny story that I like to tell people because 
Uh, you know, like I, my degree is in music business. I didn't really have any experience teaching. Um, when, when we were in um, Nashville, we realized that it might be a very strong possibility that I was going to be going, we were going to go to China together. So we found one of our side hustles when we were there um, desperately job hunting. We found this tutoring gig. Um, that, and so that's how I got my first experience actually teaching, something to like put on a resume. Uh, but then... Uh, we actually lined up a job for me, like a really cushy, easy job being a private nanny for this rich family out in the suburbs. So that's how I was able to get my feet wet and start practicing. Um, but to be honest, like standing up in front of a, a group of students and, and teaching gave me anxiety, to be honest. And I'm not, I'm not an anxious person. I never really have that issue where I struggle with anxiety. But the idea of teaching a group of kids something made me super nervous, like sweaty palms. And in fact, the first demo that I ever did in order like to get a job was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, but there's nothing better than just diving straight into something and understanding that, no, you're not going to be good at it at first. But as long as you find the right people who are going to give you a chance and let you try, then that's all you can do. Like when you start at the bottom, the only place to go is up. And as long as you're putting effort into it and thinking about it and, and, you know, caring about it, you can actually become a pretty good teacher. And then that can lead you to so many other places. And it doesn't have to be a forever thing. I'm still teaching English, but I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends in Beijing who moved there to teach English, but then getting a job in Beijing um, for something completely different. Like I know one one friend who ended up working in public relations in an office in Beijing and, and people who went on to have other like marketing type jobs in China or just the fact that they're that they had lived and traveled abroad for some period of time helped them get a better job once they did move back to the States, because I think a lot of employers value that sort of life experience. So it's definitely best decision I ever made. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I know that to be a fact. In my own story, uh, especially you were talking about when it was hard to get a job, I came back uh, from interning in Switzerland and in a totally unrelated field to teaching, I was driving baseballs around Switzerland, running the World Cup of Baseball, right? Nothing to do with teaching, furthest thing from teaching ever. And I went to a job interview and it was for half a year before I was going to move to Japan to teach English. And they said something like, we had 300 applicants for this job. That was the first thing they told me when I walked in. I'm like, okay, well, obviously I'm not getting this. And I didn't really care either. I was like, I'll find something to do. I have half a year. And uh, they just looked at my resume. I remember the one guy looking at me saying like, why were you just in Switzerland? And the interview was basically an hour of me regaling them of like these funny stories of my travels and why I was in Switzerland, you know? And so instead of a hole in my resume, it honestly was the only talking point. They didn't ask me anything about my teaching background because I had taught for four years pre previous to that. And uh, I just remember being like walking out thinking, well, obviously they don't care about how good of a teacher I am because like I'm not getting this gig. They didn't, they didn't even ask me anything. And my phone rang, like I got in the car and was pulling out of the parking lot and they're like, Hey, if you want the job, you have it. We're not even going to interview anyone else. And I thought, like I even said, why? And they're like, we just know you can handle kids. Like you, 
you know, we enjoyed you. We enjoyed your personality. And so there it was like, you know, it stands out. Like I, everyone else came in and talked about, I was a student teacher. I did this. And here I was talking about like driving on the Audubon at 130 miles per hour with baseballs, you know? And so I, I'm with you that, you know, I think there is a sometimes a stigma with people saying, well, especially if they write out of college. Well, if I go and teach English abroad in China or Japan or anywhere uh, for a year or two, like, is that going to set me back? And I just tell people a hundred times, no, 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 no. Even if you come back and want to do the exact same thing, which probably you won't, but if you do, that's only going to be, I think in this day and age, a positive thing because you've done something completely different from everyone else who's two years out of college and maybe just have, you know, took an entry level job. So um, I'm glad you feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And I will also say from firsthand experience, like um, in that time in Nashville where we were looking for jobs, there were a lot of interviews that we went to together because it was something that we both could have done. And every single time we were in the interview and it got around to Sasha talking about living in Beijing, it's all they wanted to hear about. And they would ask him so many questions. And such a large portion of the interview, what was that? Sasha talking about his experience in China. So definitely, it it is a good thing to have on a resume. Yeah, and it, it, that's obviously you know the the main positives isn't the resume. Both you and I are at a point where like, well, I hope I don't ever have to write a resume again. But yep. you know, so all the other positive things, you know, you, the adventure, the stories that you have, the travel that you're going to have, you know, the way that you grow, you know, that's I don't want to say obvious, but that's people understand that. For anyone who is worried that, oh my gosh, you know, is this going to stump my career? Uh, you know, both you and I can say 100%, it's actually going to help it in, in multiple ways. So then you guys taught in, in schools and, and tutoring and stuff like in person abroad for quite a while. And then you decided to move into the ESL space, which is, or, well, not the, the ESL online space, I should say, teaching English online. So talk about that transition and what that has allowed you to do. Well, so as I mentioned, we live in we lived in two different cities in China, but we did a big gap year trip in between those two cities. Um, actually, when I when I first got to Beijing, I still had it in my head that like I was going to somehow um, take what I learned in Beijing and go back to the states and just get like some kind of managerial position. And we ended up in corporate sort of the closest you can get to a corporate nine to five in the ESL world. We were teaching in a very well-known English training center where, you know, fortune 500 companies would send their employees to go study English, like very high level. Um, and they promoted from within. So there was an opportunity to climb a ladder there. And for a long time, I was thinking that's what I would do. I would just climb that ladder, uh, at, uh, wall street English. That's what it was called. And then I was just going to go be a manager back in the States. Um, but we were traveling every chance we got. We did a one month backpacking trip in Thailand and Laos. And that's where we really got bit by the travel bug uh, with the desire to go traveling beyond just like a week vacation here and there. And it was doing these week vacations that we were meeting a lot of backpackers who were on a gap year. And like, um, you, you will also agree that as Americans, we don't know what a gap year is. That's not a thing in American culture. Um, but it is in Europe and Australia. They're all going on gap years between high school and college or between college and getting a job. And so we were meeting a lot of people on a gap year and learning about that. And so Sasha was like, I think we should do that. We should just finish up these contracts, 
pack up all of our stuff, get a backpack and go. And at first I was like, no, <laughs> because I had a really nice lifestyle in Beijing. I, I, I can't picture, money. I can't picture you saying no to that now, like knowing you know. who you are now that it's just, it's shocking to me, but it's funny now. I honestly can't believe I ever felt that way about it myself, but I had a really nice lifestyle. I could go get my nails done. I could go to rooftop happy hours on the weekday. If I wanted to, I was saving money. I was traveling, I was doing all these things. And the more I thought about it, like, I love having a good story to tell. I love it. And the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, that would be a really cool story to tell. So at first I was like, okay, we, we can do six months, but just six months. And Sasha was like, okay, cool, we'll do six months. And then I thought about it a little bit more and I was like, no, you know what, let's, let's just go for the year. Let, let's just go for it. So that's what we did. We, um, and we did a 14 month long gap year trip. We left Beijing, uh, traveled for 14 months straight, and then moved into Kunming. And in that gap year, that was where I got that taste of freedom. Like, it's one thing to be able to travel. It's another thing entirely to be able to do it on your own terms and not have any restrictions as far as, like, needing to be back in a place at this time. And once you've gotten a taste of that freedom, it is really addictive. And it's hard to let that go. So... When we got to Kunming, that was my main focus. I was like, okay, this is great. How can I work online so that I don't have to keep coming back to a place to replenish the funds and then go travel again? Sasha was already doing a lot of freelance blogging. Um, in fact, he, he, he was blogging for a company that makes language learning software. And he had so much writing work to do for them when we got back to Kunming that he didn't even get another teaching job right away. We were back there for five months maybe before he started teaching in a school again. And that was because he was just starting to go stir crazy and was like, I have to get out of the house and talk to people. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's when I started trying to, uh, change my mindset and get my mind wrapped around the idea of figuring out a way to take my work with me so that I wouldn't be tied to a place. But the thing that got us out of Kunming was this, uh, cultural, study abroad that Sasha was accepted into that he applied for while we were there that was in Bali. And that's why we got to go live in Indonesia because it was our first trip to Bali that sparked the whole idea to even go on a gap year trip. So Bali is a very special place for us as it is for many other people. And, um, he got accepted into this program and just jumped on the opportunity to go live in Bali. Uh, and that's when I really started focusing on how I could, earn money online because Sasha was, he already had the blogging thing going and it was, this was when we got married. So it was, um, during, uh, uh, it was New Year's Eve at a fish concert in Miami that he proposed, uh, while we were living in Kunming, we went back for Christmas and it was the first time we got to go home for Christmas since before we moved to China. So that was a big deal. So we get back to Kunming. We're not only planning a wedding, but now we're planning on moving to Bali and uh, started doing research about like what kind of job I could do there. It's really hard for foreigners to get a job in Bali because unless you have a specialized skill because they want those jobs to go to locals. Uh, and there's not a really high demand for English teachers uh, in Bali just because they don't have the economic situation to support that. Uh, and that's when we found the Paradise Pack. We already knew that I wasn't going to be able to work in Bali. And um, that particular Paradise Pack had a blogging course. And by this time, we had already launched our blog. We launched our blog 
right before we left on our gap year trip. And so we decided that I was going to just be a Balinese housewife. It was going to be our year long honeymoon, uh, because Sasha had the blogging and the program paid us a stipend. Uh, and it's actually really cheap to live in Bali if you go eat where the locals eat and, and, and if you know just how to keep a budget and stick to it. Um, so that's what I did. We moved to Bali and I started working on this blogging course and started focusing all of my efforts on turning our travel blog into a business that would earn a sustainable income so that we could keep traveling. So now here is the answer to your question, finally. Um, I realized that it was going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of patience to make our blog earn an income. And I knew that I was going to need something else to sustain me in the meantime. And I had heard about teaching English online because Sasha's brother had done it through a program at his university at Michigan State. He was teaching students in Korea English online. So I started looking into that and everywhere I was looking kept turning up a dead end. And I started to like get that anxious feeling that maybe like this wasn't a real thing and it wasn't going to be a good idea. Finally, one night, like a month before we left Bali and it was getting down to crunch time. Like we were about to leave Bali and I was going to have to figure something out because we were going to either need to be finding a new place to live and applying for jobs somewhere or I was going to need to be making money online. Uh, and, and that's when I finally found VIP kid, uh, through a Facebook group. And I looked at like their qualifications and, and what they offered. And I read through it all and I was perfectly qualified because they were based in Beijing. I had a ton of experience teaching English in China. Um, but we had already made a lot of plans for the summer to see a lot of music. And I was worried that the schedule was going to conflict with all the plans we made. So even though I had found this, what sounded like a perfect job that I was perfectly qualified for, I was like, eh, not going to apply. And so I was like, wait, wait, hang on. You mean to tell me that you just found this job that would be perfect, that you're perfectly qualified for, and you're not going to apply? And I was like, yeah, okay, fine. I guess I'll send in an application. Like, what, what would it hurt? And uh, it was like 10, 11 o'clock at night, and I sent off my application, woke up at 9 a.m. with an invitation to interview. Wow. And that started your ESL online journey, which you guys are still doing now. Like, mm -hmm. and, and you've been doing that for how long now, teaching English online? It'll be four years this May. Wow. The longest I've ever had any job. Okay, so let's talk about a few of the pros and cons then. And and you, you could give us some resources and you've got an ebook on it too, which which dives obviously a lot deeper on the subject. But for you, obviously, there are quite a few pros to teaching English online. You've been doing it for four years almost. What are those to you, the pros of, of teaching English online? What do you love about that gig? I love the freedom. It allows me to continue to have this lifestyle of freedom on my own terms because I can do it from anywhere with a strong Wi-Fi connection. I can live anywhere I want. I can be a digital nomad. I can make my own schedule. It's very flexible. Um, so the, the three biggest pros for me are the freedom, the flexibi flexibility, and the financial stability. Yeah. Talk about the financial stability a little bit, because obviously that's the, you know, could be the elephant in the room for people to say, all right, yes, I understand kind of how it works. Can I make enough money to, to, to have a lifestyle? I think so. And 
But of course, that depends on you and your specific needs. But um, we teach for VIP Kid, and at this point, we average uh, $22 per hour. Um, so, you know, uh, and there's just the two of us. We don't have kids. So that for us is different than probably a lot of people's situation. But we tend to travel in places with a more inexpensive cost of living places like Mexico, um, Colombia, uh, a lot of places in Latin America have a much lower cost of living. And that allows us to not have to work as much because our expenses are not as high. Yeah, because 22 bucks an hour, if you're living, I mean, isn't anything to sneeze at kind of wherever you are, unless I guess, you know, you want to live in Manhattan or LA or something. But you guys, like you said, you're able to travel when you want, where you want. And so if you bunk down and you're, you know, you spend a lot of time in Puerto Vallarta or you're in Medellin right now, I mean, $22 an hour, 22 US dollars an hour. I mean, you are making way more than any local population and and able, as you mentioned, to then not have to put in 40 hours a week because you're living somewhere cheaper. So you say, well, I can even, I can work 20 hours a week. So I can really enjoy where I'm at, not have to work too much and still lead a good lifestyle because I'm somewhere that's half the price or a third the price of what you might be paying in, in a typical US city. Exactly. And that's another huge pro for me is all the extra free time I now have. Um, and so I was able to take all that extra free time and the money that I was earning from teaching English online to devote to the travel blog and continue, uh, with that passion project of building it in, into an online business. What are some of the cons like, or, or things that you don't like as much about teaching English online? Or is there any like things that people should be aware of or things that you say, again, like it's not all roses maybe. No, it's definitely not all unicorns and rainbows. Um, so I would say one of the cons is teaching kids for me because in Beijing, I was teaching adults and I much prefer teaching adults. It, and it's not even necessarily adults. Let's put it this way. I don't like teaching beginners. I like teaching people that I can have somewhat of a conversation with that I can also learn something from as well. And it's not just a one-sided, I'm teaching you everything. Uh, so, but with the companies that um, are focused on kids, those are the ones that pay the best. Um, and those are the ones that are more guaranteed because they're kids and they're most likely learning English because their parents want them to learn English and their parents are the ones shelling out the money for it. But when you have adults, they're adults. They can make their own decisions. If they decide they're not getting enough out of it or suddenly they can't afford it anymore because something's come up, then you lose a student because they can make those decisions. Um, one of the other cons is because you're teaching kids, you have to be really animated and excited. And um, I'm just not like naturally a super animated person. Like I can be that way for like a couple hours at a time, but since I'm not naturally that excited, it's pretty mentally draining for me. Like I can only do like four hours. That's a lot. Um, but that's also because four hours is eight classes. The classes are 25 minutes each. 
So, so it's it's you know. like if you're going back to back, it is like you're on a hamster wheel for those four hours. You're not exactly. It's not four hours of just sitting back and collecting a paycheck. You're you're right. earning that paycheck. You're definitely earning that paycheck, and especially because for most of at least the best online English teaching jobs, it's one on one. So it's not like when you have a class where you can give them an assignment and then step away for a minute. You, you're, you've got to be constantly on top of it, engaging them, keeping them excited. And that's also what the parents expect um, because they're, you know, they're shelling out top dollar for their kids to learn English online. And if their expectations are not being met, then that can mean bad things for you because at least on VIP Kid, the parents can then leave a review for the teacher in the same way that you review your Uber driver. And sometimes you might, you, you get a bad review, even if you think that you don't deserve it, that you didn't think anything went wrong or the things that did go wrong were out of your control. And then the, like, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And another con is um, the cancellation policy. Uh, VIP kid has a really strict cancellation policy, um, which on the one hand, from a business perspective, I understand why they have this strict policy because that's how they ensure a high quality to the parents who are paying, um, to enroll their kids. But from a teacher's perspective, sometimes you're really, really sick. Sometimes something comes up. Like if you are a parent, you know, Sometimes something comes up and you have to drop everything and be there for your kids. And they really don't have a lot of leniency when it comes to their cancellation policy. And it was kind of hard for me to adjust to at first. Um, I'm used to it now and I have my own strategies for making sure that I don't have to cancel or miss any classes. Um, but that's definitely another con. What uh, Before we get into just quickly talking about Digital Nomad and for the last two or three years, you guys have been doing that and some lessons on that. I wanted to just ask you about additional resources for teaching English online because you're an expert at this point. I mean, uh, you've done it for four years and you were teaching English, you know, not online, I, I guess on the ground, we could call it for four years before that. So you have been in it for a long time, what are some of the best resources for people who are out there saying like, all right, I, I definitely want to dive into this. I want to learn more. I don't want to, you know, just Google it because it's probably going to be overwhelming because there's going to be a tons of information. Where would you send people for good resources on this type of stuff? Um, well, our blog, for one, we have a lot of good resources, kind of like what you can, first of all, why teaching English is so great and a, sort of the, a fast way to become a digital nomad. But I think, Another piece of advice that I always give people is to get a TEFL certificate, not only because it's required, like you pretty much have to have a TEFL certificate that stands for teaching English as a foreign language for those who don't know. And it just certifies you to teach the English language. Um, that will prepare you more than anything else because it'll you'll learn how to teach sort of like complicated grammar and phonics and things like that. And um, I wish I had taken a TEFL course a lot sooner than I did because I was living and teaching in China for a whole 15 months before I took a TEFL certificate and it got a whole lot easier after I finally got that certification. Um, YouTube has a lot of really great resources. You can find a lot of, um, videos about like how to teach English and different, um, teaching techniques that you can use. Um, but so I would say our blog, also YouTube, and um, get a TEFL yeah, certificate. Yeah, and the TEFL certificate. And you guys have been digital nomading now for, what, 
three years? Four years. Four years. Okay, ever since you were teaching, I guess that makes sense, hand in hand, teaching English online and, and doing it. What have been, if you could distill it down to just a couple lessons that you've learned, what what would those be like? What are some surprises or, or things that you do now that maybe you didn't do when you started? Um, well, I think probably the most important thing is to figure out how to have a balance. Um, because another con to teaching students in China is the time difference if you want to stay in the Americas. Uh, because the classes are very early in the morning. Um, we teach from six to eight in the morning in Eastern time, and that gets earlier as you head west. So it's a lot harder for people in mountain and Pacific time because you're essentially having your classes in the middle of the night. So you have to figure out how to find a balance. I'm not a morning person. So um, I'm kind of like going against all of the uh, sort of wisdom out there about creating a digital nomad lifestyle because what I do, my main source of income does not fit with my lifestyle. <laughs> I'm right. not a morning or, person. Or at least in that way, it doesn't fit. Like yeah. it's, it's a trade-off, right? You're saying, it all is. right, I, I'm not a morning person, neither am I, but I, I realize that I can get up early and teach these classes maybe a couple times a week and have this lifestyle that I want, or I have to find something else that works a little better for the time but you know, there's always. But I'm giving this, this, and this up if if I do that. So exactly, it's a give and take, and there's no such thing as a perfect situation. Um, you, but here's here's the con, here's the pro for for the time difference is you can go to Europe, you can go to Southeast Asia, and your teaching time is going to be way more desirable. It's more like a normal working hours, and then you could teach. I could teach so many more classes if we went to. Europe or went back to Southeast Asia. I just really love being in Latin America. Um, but back to your question. So figuring out a balance is important. Um, getting a lot enough of what you need to be happy and not in order to avoid burnout, because especially in my case, when I'm having to wake up so early and I'm also so focused on turning my blog into a business that, um, mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot all the time. I'm making a lot of decisions. So for me, I have to make sure I'm getting enough sleep. I'm eating enough. I'm staying hydrated, all of these things. Um, and then you need to have a strategy uh, for how you're going to combine teaching your classes with traveling. If you're going to do the digital nomad thing. Um, so for us, we primarily stay in Airbnbs because that's the best way we can guarantee fast Wi-Fi. Um, we have what we call our wander planning technique, which is our strategy for creating our teaching schedule around our travel days. We have a template that we send out to Airbnb hosts to ensure that we get in writing what their Wi-Fi speed is in case we arrive there and it's not what they said it is. In that instance, Airbnb will step in and help us out and they've come to our rescue on a couple of different occasions. Um, so I think those are probably the biggest things. Have, have you found that your travel has changed at all over those four years? Like, have you started to slow down some because you just realize that it's easier? Like you're trying to do multiple things, right? Travel, have a business and teach English online, which is the primary income. So now you're saying, 
you know, I can't do all three of these well if I'm going fast. Exactly. When we were doing our gap year trip in between moving from Beijing to Kunming, we were moving fast, like really fast. Uh, the longest we would stay in one place was seven days. And that felt like an eternity. <laughs> so when we first started teaching online, we were in the States for most of the first six months that I was teaching. So I got the job first. I did it for six months. And then Sasha jumped on board. And so those first six months, we were traveling around the States. So that was easy. But then when Sasha started and we actually hit the road traveling internationally, we took the bus to Mexico and we planned our first month traveling through Mexico in a similar way to what we were doing for our gap year trip. We were just staying for like a week pretty much everywhere. And that, oh gosh, that, oh man, that led to burnout real fast. Like that was exhausting. Um, and we realized that, that as a digital nomad, your time is split into three categories. There's what we call working time, um, sightseeing time, and socializing time. And socializing time can be whatever you like to do, you know, whether it's nightlife or just dinner and drinks with friends, like that's your socializing time. You can't do all three in a day. You can, it's even hard to do two in a day sometimes. So we, we realized very quickly that a week is not nearly enough time. So we've tried to stay for at least a month in places. Like when we did our uh, South America backpacking trip, we would try to stay for a month in most places. Even that's not long enough. I'm getting to the point where like three month minimum is, is, is good. <laughs> Six, even better. Nice, nice. And you guys do typically have a little bit of a home base then in Puerto Vallarta or like that's where you find yourself coming back to quite a bit. Yeah, that inadvertently became our base because when we were first starting to travel Mexico, that was the first place where we planned to stay for a whole month. And we got there and we were just so tired and burned out and Sasha needed a root canal and that was going to take more appointments than we originally thought. And so we ended up just staying for six months, never, ever what we set out to do, but that's what happened. Then we left after those six months to do our South America backpacking trip, had no intention of coming back. But by the end of those seven months backpacking around South America, once again, we were exhausted, burned out and just needed a place to go. And that Airbnb in Puerto Vallarta that we love so much just so happened to be available for a full six months. So we jumped on it and went back for six months. And then while we were there, we went ahead and planned to go back yet again for another six months. Um, but I think we are uh, we're going to end that this portion of our digital nomad journey. We're going back to Puerto Vallarta, but only for a month. Um, because I feel like it's kind of starting to restrict us a little bit because the only six months that we can be in this Airbnb that we love so much is in the summertime. And there are a lot of other really great places in the world to be during the summer. So Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're spreading your wings a little bit, you know, and maybe getting to time zones that are more conducive uh, to your teaching online, which again is like it's a give and take. And you guys for a years now have you know, had to figure out the time zones and how to make that work. And it's been great, but now it might be time to head somewhere else. So, okay. What I'm going to ask you, um, the question I love asking all the guests and that is what is your biggest travel mishap? So I've been thinking about this and the first thing that came to mind 
was during our first ever backpacking trip when we went to Thailand and Laos. Uh, it was uh, 2011, and we had never done a backpacking trip, and we did everything wrong, everything. Like, one of the places we wanted to go to was uh, Vang Vieng in Laos, and that's famous for the tubing. And for those of you who don't know, there's this river near Vang Vieng, and at, back in the day, it was like this huge party stop, and it was a big spot along the Banana Pancake Trail, which is the trail that backpackers follow all throughout Southeast Asia. And we got there and we were so excited. We jumped out of bed that morning and got a tuk-tuk down to the river and there was nobody there. In fact, um, one of the bars, they were just opening. They were like sweeping up the outside and we're looking around like, okay, well, at least we can get our tubes. There are no tubes to be found. It turns out that you rent your tube in the town and then your taxi ride down to the river is included. So we had jumped up out of bed, gotten ourselves all the way down to the river to do the tubing and didn't even have a tube. And, and the day just got progressively worse from there. Like um, we went, we got like a sandwich from the first bar and, and a beer. And they're like, oh, if you buy a beer, you get a free shot. And we're like, okay, great. And, but it was a shot of Lao Lao, which is this really terrible whiskey, like really terrible whiskey. And I, I took my shot and it just did not sit well. And I puked and then I kept trying to rally and we tried to swim down the river a little bit. And then I would puke again another hour later and then again another hour later. It, it was not, it was not ideal. Not, <laughs> not the uh, fun tubing party that you imagined it was going nope. to be. Did nope, you ever get not. tubes? In fact, yes, we did. Uh, so originally we had planned to go to the capital of Laos, uh, Vientiane, uh, and stay one night to catch our flight the next day. But we canceled those plans and stayed in Vang Vien an extra night so that we could do it right the next day and get our tubes and actually float down the river in a tube. And then we ended up taking a bus directly from Vang Vien to the airport. All right. I'm guessing you didn't take a shot the next day then, hey? No, I did not take a nice. single you shot the next learn day. Learn your lesson. Learn your <laughs> I lesson. I sure did. <laughs> awesome. What do, you have, what do you guys have coming up in the pipeline? Uh, both like, you know, where are you thinking you might be traveling and also then you know, professionally, we'll say, like, what is the goal with Grateful Gypsies? And I know you've got some other cool stuff that you're doing with English language learning online and helping others get started. Right. So um, on the travel front, we are in Medellin, Colombia. We're going to Barranquilla to celebrate Carnival for the second half of this month and going to Santa Marta and the beach to celebrate my birthday. Then we'll be here through the end of March, and then we've got about two weeks we need to figure out. We're hoping to do the boat trip from Colombia to Panama and see the San Blas Islands. Uh, then we're, we can move back into our Airbnb in the middle of April in Puerto Vallarta. We're staying there for a month, and then at the end of May, we're going to a music festival. Um, and it's a music, it'll be the fifth year in a row that we've been to this music festival. Sasha works there. He, it, the music festival is called Summer Camp, and Sasha is a camp counselor, which means that he's essentially uh, a hype man. He's a part of their marketing team. He gets to take photos and videos and uh, keep the hype going for the excitement throughout the year. Um, and then we're going to spend the entire summer in the States going on fish tour. <laughs> okay. Going back to doing what we love most because um, it's been a long time since we did more than just 
a three night run during a, a fish tour. And so this summer we're going to take advantage of all of our freedom and go see fish as many times as we want and go to a couple of music festivals and see some other concerts and get in some good FaceTime with friends. And then in the fall, Sasha's brother is getting married in Korea. So we're going to be heading back to Asia for the first time since we left in 2016. So that's exciting. Um, then on the professional front, uh, I've still been working really hard on turning Grateful Gypsies, our travel blog, into an online business. And it's morphed from uh, kind of an ex China expat blog into just a general travel blog. Now it's morphing into a digital nomad blog where the main focus is uh, as a resource for both uh, established and aspiring digital nomads. So for the established digital nomads, we've got a ton of resources like best cafes and um, other things that are good books, digital nomads to follow, inspirational content. And then for aspiring digital nomads, we encourage people to try teaching English online because it's the exact way that we were able to become digital nomads much quickly than we ever could have imagined. I really do truly believe that it is the fastest way to become a digital nomad if you want, if you want to be. Um, and one of the reasons why is because it's, it's pretty inexpensive to get a TEFL certification. And then as long as you know what to do and you know the different teaching techniques and you have the right person coaching you through the process, it's really easy to get a job teaching English online. But then the best part is that it doesn't have to be a forever thing. Like we do it because we enjoy doing it, but your contract is only six months long. So you can just look at it as a stepping stone. And what I encourage people to do is to get the job and then reduce their monthly expenses and get to a point, you know, or even a location where they don't have to work 40 hours a week and they can cut down their working time uh, with the teaching English and have all this extra time to focus on whatever it is they want to do, whether they want to build up their own online business or look for other remote jobs. Uh, so we, we have our course called Teaching for Freedom that takes you through all the steps to do just that. It's not open right now, but in the meantime, um, people can get our free ebook. It's a free guide called how to live abroad and travel the world as an online English teacher. And that will give you all the info that you need to get started. And then that way you will be on the waiting list for when the doors to the course do open. Awesome. And I would just second that the, the fact that you said teaching English online is probably the quickest way or is the quickest way to become a digital nomad. And I would agree if you don't have something started already, or you, you know, you don't have a profession where you can just essentially transfer something you're doing from a location dependent way into somehow being location dependent. If you're just one of those people who says, I want this lifestyle and I don't really know what I'm going to do. And that was me in the beginning, you know, way back when I started, I had no idea. I just wanted the lifestyle. You know, I wish that this teaching this online had been available when I started because it is pretty much, you, you could start almost right away. Um, 
and you could start having a good lifestyle the way you mentioned, Rach, and like living different places that are cheaper. And so I'm with you, like getting to follow your journey and watching you and Sasha. It's been inspiring for us because we've sent so many people in location India and people that we know your way because I'm like, they've done it. And and again, you don't have to teach English forever. It doesn't have to be a forever thing. You're doing it part-time as a way to supplement, you know, the passion project and building up a business. And I just think for most people, that is an effective, fun way to get started, to get seeing the world, to make some income so you're not blowing through savings or what have you, and and a lot quicker than if you are going to start a blog or a podcast or be a content creator. That's going to take a long time. And uh, and so I love that you guys have been able to do it. And, can, and I really love that you have also enjoyed it too. Like something that you didn't think you would really enjoy has turned into something you're like, we also really... Like, not only do we enjoy the perks that come with this, we also enjoy the job itself. So, um, yeah, remind people then one more time how they can come get a hold of you, especially if they're in there and they're saying, all right, I want to build a life around teaching English online that allows me to see the world. And this is the first steps I'm going to take. What should they do in order to get that ebook? The best way to get to get the ebook would be there's a couple of different ways. You can go to the blog, gratefulgypsies.com. Um, there's a blog post by the same title, how to live abroad and travel the world as an online English teacher. And that's the blog post you can go to, to download the ebook, or you can follow us on Instagram. We're also grateful gypsies. And if you go to our Instagram bio, we have a link tree link in there and you hit that and it's the second option. It'll say free guide. You can get it that way. That'll take you to the blog post. Or you can like our Facebook page, Grateful Gypsies on Facebook. If you click the Learn More button right there on our Facebook page, that'll take you to a page that will allow you to download both our eBooks, the one about teaching English online. And then we have another one called um, Seven Tips and Resources to Help You Travel Smarter. Awesome. Great. You guys, we will link everything up in the show notes. Of course, extrapackpants.com slash shows. So we'll link up all of Rachel's stuff. We'll link up some of those articles. Gratefulgypsies.com. Best place for you guys to all find it. Thanks again, Rachel. It's awesome. Uh, I'm a little jealous that you're down in Colombia in Medellin since we have not been able to get there yet. So have some fun for us. I'm sure you will. I, I know if I say have fun to you and Sasha that, uh, that you 100% will. So thanks for taking the time to come on and chat with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us number one rated travel podcast. And until next time, everyone, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris Summerfest, the world's largest music festival, which has between 800,000 and a million people each year, is held in the bustling U.S. city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now that is a surprise.